And I think being clear about your why, being clear about why you're saying no to something, that's kind. It's not kind to just keep saying yes to all the things that you want to do and giving them only a fraction of your time or a fraction of your energy. Welcome to the All In Podcast, where we dive into the mindset, habits, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. In All In, you can expect real and raw conversations with athletes, coaches, and leaders on topics like mental health, mindset, psychology, training, wellness, habits, and much more. We hope to leave you feeling empowered with motivational stories, relatable experiences, and actionable advice, and I know that I personally walk away from each episode learning something new. In this episode, we are joined by Andrea Hope Lane, the Senior Vice President of Global Brand Management for none other than EA Sports. Yes, the EA Sports. She was also named Brand Innovator's Top 100 Women to Watch. In this episode, Andrea shares her journey as a woman in sport to getting to where she is now, how her sports experience has helped her succeed in business, how she manages her energy and mental health while crushing it at work and home, the explosion of F1 and women's sports, her experience with imposter syndrome and being a woman in a male-dominated industry, and much more. So without further ado, let's go all in. Andrew, welcome to the All In Podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here and spending some time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how's it going and, and where you're at? Where are you at right now? Could you uh, walk me through, you know, what your day-to-day is like? Sure, great, yeah. I, um, I'm... Um... I'm calling or I'm talking to you live from the Bay Area. Um, I oversee the brand and the business for EA Sports, um, which you may probably are familiar with or probably pretty familiar with. We make some of the best sports video games out there, sports interactive content. And I'm really um, fortunate to oversee an incredible team and an incredible suite of brands that range from global football to American football, hockey, basketball, fighting, motorsports, golf. Um, The portfolio is really broad. And, um, you know, just uh, I love my job every single day because we get to build the most amazing player experiences out there for interactive sports play. I'm so excited to dig into more of what you do, but I'm really interested to find out like your background story to where you got to now. I know you have an extensive background with where you've worked before, but I also know that you played soccer before. So could you walk me through kind of even your childhood, like the sports you played and how you came to be where you're at? Sure. Absolutely. Um, Yes, I grew up an athlete. Um, I grew up. Uh, I grew up all over the country. My family moved quite a few times, and I think one of the things that was always constant for me was my love of sports and my love of athletics. And it was one of the things that really grounded me. Each time we moved, it was sports was something that really grounded me to my environment and helped me connect into the. Um, the the people around me and make friends, you know, being a part of a team and having a a shared love of sport and camaraderie and connection. It was such an amazing way for me to make friends and to feel like I was part of a community. And so, um, yes, growing up, I was an avid, avid soccer player. I played all the way um, through college. I played club in college, which was really fun at the University of Michigan. And and then, yeah, as I came out of um, college, my I had thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, I went into college thinking that I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon and God was I wrong. And really, I mean, what fueled that, you know, want to be an orthopedic surgeon as an athlete, you know, we all get injured many, many times. I'm sure you too have been, um, 
been at the doctors many times fixing a sports industry. And I was just so passionate about like the inner mechanics of the body and, you know, how you fueled your body as an athlete and how you repaired it when it was broken down that I wanted to give back. Um, it did not turn out to be my destiny. Uh, intro to chem and intro to calculus in my freshman year, pretty much weeded me out. <laughs> and um, I pivoted. I pivoted very hard, very quickly into a communications, film, television, production uh, major at Michigan. Totally and, different than yeah, yeah, yeah. that other route. <laughs> I mean, couldn't be more opposite, you know, yeah. science, arts. Um, but it turned out pretty well for me. It really, um, I was passionate. I studied all sorts of film, all sorts of content. I was an avid Michigan athletic fan and knew that my destiny, if it wasn't to be a doctor, was to come back to Los Angeles when I was done, which is where I had spent most of my high school years, was to come back to Los Angeles and to figure it out. And um, I figured it out. I took my first job inside of sports. I worked at Fox sports and was in the programming department where I was responsible for filling the schedule with the Lakers games and the ducks games and figuring out how to manage the puzzle of a 24 hour grid, um, and make sure that you built content that people and built, you know, back-to-back -back content that people would want to engage with and continue to watch, for long periods of time. Um, and so that was really my start into sports and entertainment at Fox Sports. And from there, you know, I've been really fortunate to build a career that really sits at the intersection of sports and entertainment and technology. I've worked at Disney and ESPN. I worked at Hasbro, um, at Sony. And, you know, today I'm at Electronic Arts and EA Sports. That's awesome. And I, I have so many things to dig into with, within that story, but I, I love when you talked about pivoting and especially the contrast of what you wanted to do and then what you ended up doing from science to arts. What advice would you give to someone, let's say they're you know a young athlete or a young female athlete, whether their sports career is ending or what they went to school for, they want to change or it's not working out. What advice would you give them for you know bouncing back from that and kind of looking at that pivot as an opportunity rather than you know a failure at that original goal. Gosh, this is something I constantly have to remind myself about. I give myself my own advice. Um, but the thing I think about the most is I always go back to what my experience was of this as an athlete. And when you think about all the time you spend in practice, you spend way more time practicing, practicing the shot, practicing the move, practicing the trick, you know, um, doing drills with teammates. Um, and those are all forms of, um, they're, it's repetitive motion, but it's forms of um, failure and forms of pivoting and forms of learning. And you don't get to be great at anything. You don't get to take the penalty shot. You don't get to, 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 to get it in the back of the back corner of the net if you don't practice over and over and you don't fail many times. And, and think about, you know, how to pivot your body um, at slightly different angles or, you know, stand and, and, or run up to the ball or approach something in, in just slightly nuanced ways to be able to practice and practice and get it right. And so for me, I constantly am reminding myself that um, we're in the pursuit of excellence, not perfection. And when you really think that way, it allows you, excellence requires you to take risk. Excellence requires you to 
put on different hats and try things different ways um, to get to a really great state and to win or to accomplish whatever it is that's going to make you happier to accomplish the goal. And so I really have focused very much on reminding myself about practice and failure. I love that. I think that's that's great advice, especially for the young female athletes who might be listening or really anybody, no matter what stage they are in their life or their career, if they're in sports or if they're in school. Um, and one thing that I, I really like or a stat that I really like that I've seen recently is that 80 percent of Fortune 500 uh, executives, women executives played competitive sports. Um, and it sounds like a lot of the experiences that you had in sports led you to the leadership positions and the skills that you have now. What are some of those skills more than just the the failure that you learned from soccer and from sports specifically that you take now into the leadership position that you have? Uh, I love this question because it's 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 something I discovered. Um, I've discovered along my career journey as I've reflected back into the role that sports played in my life. Um, I played many roles in, or I played many positions on the field as a soccer player, but the position I spent the most time in was a midfielder. And um, for those that are listening that play soccer, you know, midfielder is really at the center of the field. Um, the midfielder is not, uh, is not always on offense and not always on defense. He plays a little bit of all of it. And what I love about um, thinking about my role as a midfielder is it's very much the way I lead today. The midfielder doesn't take all the shots. You know, they're responsible for setting up their team members for success. They're responsible for pointing out corners and horizons and giving everybody sort of the full view of what they're up against. Um, and I think that's very much emblematic of the way I lead today. I lead from the center. I don't need to be out front. Um, I want to set my team members up for success. I want to protect them um, and defend with them. And, you know, I will take a few shots. Absolutely. A mid good mid midfielder always um, takes a few shots, and it's, but they're calculated about those moves. Um, they're more in pursuit of setting up their stars for success and the, the team around them. And so I think I think that um, that analogy is very much just a depiction of how I lead today and how sports has really driven me to be the leader that I am. I love that. And we've had so many amazing female athletes and pro female athletes on the, on the podcast. And I was so excited to talk to you as somebody who's transitioned into, you know, being uh, such a professional leader and talking, especially about the stat of, you know, one in three girls drop out of sports at 16. There's a lot of issues from body image, societal issues, lack of equal opportunity. What would you say to some of those girls, you know, looking back at your journey and how big a role sports has taken into where you got now, what would you say to them to keep them in sports so that they can build Build some of these tools and experience some of these things to get to, you know, a, a level, whether they want to be in business or start their own business or uh, a career or even, you know, pursue sports further. You know, I don't think that um, we always have to compete at the top of the game. And I think that some of what weeds people out is this quest for perfection or this quest to be the best. And it saddens me that, you know, um, people drop out of sports because I think about the role that sports plays on so many levels, even to where I sit today as an executive. Um, sports drives confidence. Sports is very much a part of my own energy management and stress management. Um, sports is camaraderie. Sports is, um, you know, body confidence. It reminds me of my own mobility and agility. 
Um, and so I, it saddens me to hear, you know, that the women dropping out of sports. And I think the best thing I can tell them is that you don't have to compete at the top of the game. You have to find something you love, taking care of your body, self-care, like sports is also self-care and um, find something you do love to do, whether it's a game of tennis or, you know, a walk every afternoon in the hills in your neighborhood or, um, you know, jumping rope for 10 minutes every day, there's, there's such a value that being active can have for your mental state and your physical state. And so don't drop out, just pivot. Yes. I, I love that. And I think, yeah, I think that it's going to be a big theme of the, the conversation in a sense. Um, what are some of the things that you do? I know, I, and I'm excited to dig into the, you know, what your day-to-day looks like and uh, especially some of the, the cool nuances of, of your role, but pivoting a little bit to mental health, which is a big conversation with, especially I think in sports, but also with the executives and in corporate. Um, what are some of the ways that you take care of that, whether it's through, you know, daily exercise or different things? Are there ways that you prioritize self-care and mental health in your, your busy routine? I know you also said you're a mom, so I'm sure that's also hectic. Yes. Um, uh, there is no such thing as balance. I will, um, <laughs> at least in my own life, there's no such thing as balance. Um, it is <clears throat> a constant reprioritization, um, and a constant integration of the things that are most important. I think what I've really started to focus on in the last couple of years is my energy management. And really thinking about um, how I can um, set myself up to be the best I can be in every every situation. What I mean by energy management is really this notion of, you know, it used to be how many things can I accomplish in 24 hours? How many things can I check off my list? And that notion um, is hard because time is finite, and it really it really pushes me to that to that side of myself that's like, I'm this ultimate multitasker and look at all the things that I got done. And in that notion of a 24 hour window, you like that finite amount of time, like you can burn out and just accomplish checking off things off of your box. The thing about energy management is that energy works really differently than time. Energy is actually renewable. And, and what that means is, you know, yes, it's renewable, but only to a point. And so the way I keep thinking, the way I think about it today is how do I set the right boundaries? Um, how do I make time to rest and recover, whether that's through going out for a jog or, you know, getting into the kitchen and cooking something um, or playing a video game with my son or, you know, self-care. Yes. Just going to get a manicure sometimes, um, you know, how do you take time to rest and recover? And then how do I make sure that I'm blocking time for deep work for like deep think work? Because that is impossible when I'm also trying to check boxes on a laundry list of things to do. I found for myself that deep work, I can really only do it for about 90 minutes at a time. And then my brain just sort of needs a break. And so I kind of keep going back to setting the boundaries, making time to rest and recover and setting the time for the deep work that really allows me to continue to renew my energy over time. Yeah. I, I love that you mentioned energy management and, and dove deep into it because I think that's so important. And I think it's important for people to, to hear, especially if they're juggling sports and uh, school and, you know, a family life or social life, maybe a partner, all these different things and prioritizing your energy and then also creating boundaries. That was something that I really picked up on you saying, and I'd love for you to dive deeper on that because I'm sure in your job as well, when you're looking at potential partnerships or potential moves within, you know, what you do, 
um, not only just in your, in your business life, but also your personal life that you have to learn how to say no. And I think that's something a lot of people struggle with. And I find a lot of girls and women struggle with, especially as well. So how do you create that boundary to, you know, figure out what's a good potential opportunity and what do I need to say no to, um, you know, because there's an opportunity cost to saying yes. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the thing I often say, um, whether it's about making business decisions or personal decisions is um, really understanding and wanting to understand the why. And so why in, in the world of business, for instance, why does this decision matter for our players or our consumers? Like, why would we do it for them? And how does that stack rank in the things that we think are most important for how we delight them and how we serve them as an audience? And the same thing goes for myself, you know, and for my family or for personal decisions. Um, how does this stack rank? Um, and where does it fit into the things that um, most um, most support either my own growth and development, my own personal ambitions, my own personal needs to care for myself or my family. And so I often go back to that question, sort of why. And then, you know, if it doesn't, it doesn't serve my why or it doesn't serve my consumer's why, um, I do believe very much in, in saying no. Um, you know, I've read a bunch of Brene Brown and um, Brene Brown often talks about um, this notion of being uh, clear as kind. And I think being clear about your why, being clear about why you're saying no to something, that's kind. It's not kind to just keep saying yes to all the things that you want to do and giving them only a fraction of your time or a fraction of your energy. Or um, And so we have to be clear. We have to, and I think it's really important for all of us to set those boundaries and, to, and it, it, it winds up really motivating teams when they can understand the rationale for why. I love that. And I think that's so important. I, I definitely, I have the mantra of, you know, if I can't be all in on this project or this, then I could, I have to put that boundary. And exactly like you said, you know, be clear and say, I can't take this opportunity because I know I'm not going to be able to be all in and you deserve, you know, someone who's going to be all in. Um, pivoting a little bit on, on topics. I want to go back to, you know, what you do in your day to day. I think it's super exciting and I'm really excited to learn about all you do. Did you grow up at all playing video games? I'm so curious about that. Um, I, I joke to my team that, um, every time I play, I need a hundred percent of the assist mode turned on. I am <laughs> Me too. <laughs> a, a total novice at video games. I did grow up playing, um, I had one of the original Nintendos when I was young. So I played a lot of Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt and Donkey Kong, um, a lot of like platformer type games. But I didn't, after playing, you know, Nintendo early on in my childhood, I really did not play at all until I took this job. And that was a big gap. That was more than 30 years, probably. And so I'm, I'm a novice. I, but what I can say is um, I've always loved, and this will be a theme, I'm sure, as we move forward in the conversation too, I've always loved brands that make an emotional connection with their audience through characters, through stories, through worlds, um, through competition, and games very much are at the center of all of that. So it makes sense for me why I'm here and why I love what I do today. 
And um, it's been fun to get back onto the sticks and play a little bit. (laughs) I feel you on being a novice. I grew up, my parents were like, go outside and play. You're not allowed video games. And then I was so behind because I would go to (laughs) hockey tournaments and someone would bring a platform and I would be the one getting kicked off when there's too many people because they're like, you can't keep up. You suck at this game. And it was so unfortunate. And so now uh, I live with my boyfriend and he loves the F1 game. He's playing with his friends for hours. and he's so attached to the like, the character storylines and everything. And I'm curious, like, how has that been with the racing side with, you know, kind of the recent explosion of, of racing in North America, especially? Oh my gosh, it has been so much fun. So we, um, we uh, made a big business acquisition last year and now have the Formula One game inside of our portfolio, which has been super exciting, um, personally and professionally, um, on the personal side, um, my, uh, husband is an avid racer and, um, a car aficionado. And so we've been watching formula one since as long as I've known him, um, it's almost our Sunday religion. And so we <laughs> And so it's, it's been really fun to bring that closer in and sort of marry personal passion with work, um, which you don't always get to do on, you know, the business side. Um, it's so exciting to be working on formula one and in motorsports at this moment in time in the sport where we're seeing such an acceleration of fandom for the sport. You know, so much of that has been driven by, um, I mean, drive to survive has been a huge accelerant. And, um, and I also think just, you know, the, the drivers, the athletes have really become celebrities. They've really, um, they're really showing how motorsports um, is uh, is a true form of athleticism, is a true form of athlete athletes, and um, so it's been really fun to work on our game and on Formula One in particular at this moment in time, especially as the growth is really skyrocketing in North America. It's always been quite big in Europe, and now you're just seeing everybody talk about F1. So I'm pumped. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love how the drive to survive kind of showed the importance of sports storytelling and that emotional connection like you talked about before, because I think, you know, growing up, I would see it on TV and I'd be like, why aren't they playing hockey or something? Because I didn't know the drivers. Right. I don't know the storyline. I see I just see helmets and I see car racing. And then now that you know the storylines, you can attach, you know, and resonate with different people and different teams and see how things are playing out. That adds such a huge like an additional dimension to the sport. And I'm curious, like, how do you build that into the game experience? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that um, Drive to Survive has also done is it's really demystified the strategy or demystified what it takes to perform and win. They've done such a great job at storytelling, to your point, um, around what the race season looks like and how they're thinking about um, Uh, strategy and why pits matter at certain times. And so they've really done a great job of um, removing the helmet, if you will, and taking us behind and really helping us to understand the sport. And that's actually really an important component of the games that we build as well. Um, 
you may have seen in your household with all the playing that's going on is that we built in last year's game for Formula One, we built a new mode into the game called Breaking Point, which was our career mode or our story mode, which really helped you as a novice going in really um, live the life and the career of the, or in the journey of becoming an F1 driver and what it takes to get there. And I think that that is um, those type of moves inside of our game and those modes are huge opportunity to opportunities for us to bring more people into the sport and to create more access for people inside of our games. That is definitely the mode that my boyfriend is on because I love when I'm seeing like, you know, what he's playing as a character and you're seeing them talk with the manager and all these things. And I'm like, what is happening right now? And uh, it's so funny. And he's like, oh no, like the Lewis cut me off. Like he's so upset. And I'm like, I cannot, I don't know what's going on. And then I try to play and I crash into all the walls, unfortunately. So I deem some driver's assist for sure. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> yes. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Are you guys do you, do you do any experiential like in-person events with um, the F1 game? Like I, I'm going to be at F1 Montreal. So from a selfish standpoint, I'm so curious if EA Sports is going to be there. We, um, we don't do a ton of in-person. Um, we do a few years. We will not be in Montreal this year, but we are now that the world is opening back up um, and, you know, experiential is people are looking for more ways to connect outside of the games. Now I do hope that we will continue to bring more of that back in the next couple of years. Awesome. Yeah. I'd love, love to see that. And also get some tips on how to play from, from professionals and different people rather than, you know, my boyfriend, like stop crashing into the wall. <laughs> We can definitely hook you up with that. <laughs> yes, that would be great. I Maybe someday I'll just train secretly and one day he'll get home and I'll be better and that'll be the end of that. <laughs> I'll play with you. We can play together. That would be amazing. <laughs> Um, I'm also curious from, you know, women's sports are exploding. I think the popularity is exploding. It's exponential. I think part of that also is, you know, there's more advocacy, but there's also, we're, we're kind of pulling back the helmet, you know, in a sense and learning more about the, you know, who these, these athletes are and who these players are and with social media, especially, you know, they're bypassing traditional media to get more coverage, um, with these fans who are looking for it. Can you see, or do you have any plans for, you know, more women's sports games or women being featured more in gaming and, and sports in general? We do. Um, this is a huge mission of mine and a really important um, strategic initiative for us and our teams inside of all of the games that we create at EA Sports. Um, importantly, because... Well, for a variety of reasons, but importantly, because almost 50% of our audience at Electronic Arts, our audience of players is female. And when you think about that, um, you think about how important it is to see yourself represented and to, um, you know, to really represent our audience through play uh, is is fundamental for their player experience, but it's also important as we represent the growing and really diverse world of sport around us. We've made um, a couple of significant moves over the last couple of years, and we have a roadmap ahead of us of continued efforts. And um, some of those things we've done, and you're a hockey fan. Um, this year, we brought 10 double IHF teams into our NHL game. 
And so that's been really fun to be able to play, you know, with those teams and for uh, to, to represent all of that amazing female hockey talent inside of the game. Um, a couple of years ago, we brought the first female NFL coach into our Madden game, Dr. Jen Welter. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we're also working really closely with the LPGA right now on bringing women's pro golfers into our upcoming PGA tour game, which will launch at some point next year. So, I mean, both golfers and um, also um, on course commentary. And so we're really working on um, making sure that we're bringing the women's game and, and even the women's um, coaches and commentators into the game. The thing that we're also quite conscious about as we do this is doing it right. Um, and really respecting the women's game. You know, I know we move differently. Um, we play differently and just taking the skeleton of a male, um, you know, a, a male skeleton inside of our game and putting a female on top of it does not do it right. Um, and so we really need to, it takes time to build the right technical infrastructure to make sure that we're doing it authentically, um, get the women's movements right. And so we're taking our time to do it. Um, I wish that sometimes these things could go a little faster than they do. Um, I'd love to meet the speed of sport, but I also feel more important. It's more important to us that we do it right. I, yeah, I agree. And I really like that. And I like what you said at the start. And if you, you know, it's hard to be it if you can't see it. Um, and that leads me to, I, I would love to discuss your career, especially as a woman in sports business and in the sports industry. And I think for a long time, you know, a lot of women, whether they're competing in sports or they want to be in the sports industry uh, in different perspectives, they always thought, you know, there's one seat at the table. I need to fight for this one seat. Um, what would you say about that and your experiences with opening up more seats at the table for all women? Oh my gosh. I love that you even just use that line of opening more seats. Um, I don't know if you've read Wolfpack by Abby Wambach, but I'm going to put uh, it on my list. Yes, um, but she very much talks about that is um, your Wolfpack or our tribe, you know, of women around us. Um, we need more. We need more representation. We need more diverse voices. And um, what I love about what you just said is exactly what she said is we got to stop competing. There is not just one seat at the table. There is an infinite amount of chairs for all of us. And it's up to us to, you know, bring each other along and to create the space and the room for one another. Um, I have grown up in a, in a pretty male, pretty male dominated industries, um, you know, whether it was sports or today in sports and gaming, I haven't always been totally conscious of this. Um, and I, um, and I am learning to be much more conscious about my role and the impact I have today, um, you know, to share a story as I was very young in my career, um, working at, at, uh, ESPN and at Fox sports, I, um, I was one of few women, but I didn't, um, and I was able to talk the talk very well. I understood sports. I understood what, you know, I knew what happened in last night's games. I sort of was able to track and follow the world of sports, which allowed me to very easily connect with the office conversation the next day. Um, and what I didn't realize is in doing that, that not all of the women that worked on the team had the same level of knowledge or interest in sports. They were very, there for very important reasons. And they were really talented, but I, in fitting in with everybody that talked sports, 
I failed to bring the other women along the journey with, with me. And I also, I think I may have alienated them a little bit and not been a great ally. And as I reflected on this more over time, I think more and more about um, my role today as a mentor and an ally and to bring other women along and to really create the space for everyone to contribute and participate. Um, you don't need to love sports to work in sports. You don't need to love gaming to work in gaming. Um, you need to be curious and you need to be passionate about the consumer that you're serving and and, and those are way more important than being able to talk the talk every single day. And so um, there's been some important self-reflection and learning in that for me. I, I definitely relate with that. I think, you know, growing up, especially I was competing in snowboarding and I was the only girl in the area. And I think there's a lot more I could have done to, you know, reach out to other girls who are starting snowboarding and try to uplift them. But at the time, right, like there's the, the industry and sponsors and they're making it say like we have one spot for only one girl on our team versus 20 spots for for men and so it makes it like a, a little bit of a competition and head to head when it really should be hey if you want to give me that one spot like we need five spots we need these many people we need to you know bring up this we need to do some camps that are going to get more more girls into the sport and so I think a lot of us are going through that you know realization later in in life or um because I, I think it's it's in the headlines now right and we're being we're not being raised in the same way but I think we were still raised in in that era where that was how it was and now change is finally happening and so we're looking internally and seeing these things that we were always told and questioning it So what, what advice would you give for, you know, a woman who wants to, to make it in the sport industry now? Is there any like main tips, whether it's to build her leadership skills, you know, um, you know, st stick in sports or, or any even practical tactical tips? I think that, um, that there's plenty, there's, there's, like I said, there's room for all of us at the table. And so I think demonstrating curiosity um, is one of the most important things that anybody can do is to get really curious about the business, to get really curious about the sport, to get really curious about the audience. I want to understand and know those things. Those are massive accelerants for anybody in any role is really going back to understanding that why. And if you can understand the why, I think you can be successful in almost any role because it truly is the unlock for how you match the needs and the opportunities or you delight your consumer bases or your fans. Um, I also think that um, women need to do a really good job or anybody needs to do a really good job of finding mentors and finding allies. And what I often say to people is um, don't just look for one. Sometimes we think, oh my gosh, I have a mentor. Check the box. Like I'm in good hands. There's not a world where one mentor can teach you everything. Um, what I, I really like to encourage people to do is to look around them and Think about the skills that you see in other people that you'd like to emulate and reach out to those people um, and ask them to work with you or ask them for time or learn about what it is that has made them successful in that area. And so I, I always say, look to network with people around you, look, to men, look for mentors all around you, look for sponsors Find someone that's going to put their arm around you and um, help put you in position and ask for their support.
Amazing advice. And I'm curious if on your journey, I know this is definitely a comment I, I get, you know, from a lot of, of young women, young, you know, men, whether they're in sport or, or different people, especially, you know, younger people is the whole topic of imposter syndrome. And I'm curious if on your journey, you've experienced that. And if so, how have you, you know, worked to kind of overcome it? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, at every turn and it constantly creeps back up. The most recent example is when I took, um, I took a new job about a, a little over a year ago is when I took my role at EA sports and I walked in and said, Oh my goodness, it's been a long time since I've worked in sports and Oh my goodness. Um, I'm terrible at these video games <laughs> and, um, and wow, I have this team that I'm now responsible for leading who are incredible leaders how on earth am I going to provide value to them? Why me? And um, it's this real like stare you in the face, like really vulnerable moment. Um, and I, at the moment, I did exactly the advice I just gave to you. As I said, I found myself some mentors. I found myself some mentors. I found myself a coach. And I did what, you know, I went back to my athlete days and I said, it's time to start practicing. It's time to get some really solid coaching. And it's time to listen really hard um, and not try to just show up and prove my own impact, but to listen and learn and try a few things, fail a few times, um, get the feedback. And it's been really valuable for me and building my confidence along the way. And so, I, you know, imposter syndrome is real. And, you know, it's like a constant game, of, you know, whack-a-mole, pushing it back down, but going back to the tools of listening, learning, asking for feedback, trying things, practicing, um, and, and, and then celebrating your wins, finding small, lots of small wins and, and really recognizing your progress is sometimes a game of inches versus, you know, um, one, you know, shot in the back of the net. Mm. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that because I know myself included, but many people listening will relate to that. And it's so good to hear, you know, not, not necessarily good to hear, but it's important to hear that someone in a role like yourself also experiences imposter syndrome. And so it's not necessarily something that, you know, people should be made to feel like it's rare or, you know, they're the only ones going through it. I think we all go through it at some stage. And like you said, it comes creeping back and we have to start implementing those tools to work through it so that we can be effective at what we're doing. Absolutely. Um, I would be remiss like to, to hear if like anybody, you know, people couldn't relate to that, to it at all. I, I think it's far more common than we even know, but it's not as well talked about. And so, you know, I'm embracing vulnerability um, at this point in my life. And um, I think it can only help others um, to share my own vulnerable stories. Amazing. I'm curious about, you know, your whole time throughout your career, your sports journey, um, working with mentors as well. What is the most important piece of advice that you've ever gotten? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, there's a couple of pieces of advice that I've been given. Um, but I think probably the thing that has most um, most been the, been the one that's been most impactful for me is a really simple piece of advice which is really um, always saying yes to listen or to a new conversation or to learn something new. I think every chapter of my career, every chapter of my personal life has been emboldened by 
um, saying yes to putting myself in a situation where I wasn't sure what I was doing and I was forced to learn something new. Um, learning is really messy and it can be really uncomfortable. It goes back to imposter syndrome being vulnerable, but at every stage um, of saying yes to putting myself in positions that make me a little bit uncomfortable is where I've seen the most growth. It's where I've had the most fun. It's where I've met the most interesting people. Um, and it's where I've built you know, new capabilities and confidences in my own self. And so saying yes to conversation, saying yes to learning something new. I love that. I have a few questions I ask every single guest. So I'm going to uh, jump right into them. The first one is out of all your daily habits, I'm sure there's a lot, you have a lot going on. What is the single biggest game changer for you? Probably fueling myself with proper nutrition. Mm. I think that, um, you know, we talked about energy management. We talked about self-care. Um, if I'm not well-fueled, and I'm not feeling my body with the right things. I mean, honestly, I, I take a lot of care to make sure that I have the energy to do my job, to take care of my family, to run around with my six-year-old son, my two dogs. And so really simple, but really just making sure I take the five minutes to make sure that I'm prepped for the day with nutritious food to keep me going. Hmm, so important. Um, the second one is scenario you're at the end of your life you're looking back on everything that you've done in one word what is the impact that you wanted to have made mm. this one's always a tough one one word wow gosh um I think the biggest impact in one word would be well it's probably two words but um I think it's driving fandom. Mm. Fandom is such a, an important, it loving something is so important. And it's, it brings out the best in all of us, the passions in all of us, the, the thrills of victory, the agony of defeat, the, you know, investment in emotion and story. Fandom's really special. And if I can help drive fandom and attach people to things that they love, like sports today. I love, I love that opportunity for myself and for my team. I love that. It seems like you're in the perfect role to, to do just that. The last one is, uh, what does the saying all in mean to you? Oh my gosh. Commitment, commitment, um, passion, drive, risk, vulnerability. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's, understanding the why and going for it all the way. Amazing. Yeah. Commitment. I love that. Um, and I know you're on Twitter and LinkedIn and you're active there. Are there, is there anywhere else that we can send people to learn more about you? Those are great places. Those are great places to find me. Um, I'm working on finding my voice in all of those places. Um, but I'd love, yeah, follow me, um, shoot me a line. I'd love to connect with anybody. Amazing. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your journey and um, yeah, hopefully we can work on our F1 gaming skills together. And again, I appreciate you being open and vulnerable and, and sharing this journey as well as, you know, opening up more seats for women in, in sports and gaming. Thank you for having me. This was fun. If you like the podcast, the best way to support it is to leave a review and share it with a friend. Truly leaving a written review, letting us know what you liked and want more of, and sharing the podcast so more people can benefit is the best gift you could possibly give us. Thanks again for listening. I'm so grateful for your support and I'll catch you on the next one.